Okay, at this time, we'll have Mr. Mark McGarvey come forward, and he'll be conducting our Ephesians Bible study, part two. John, you hear me okay out there? Okay, so we've got, um, like the last Bible study, we're going to have two guys with the microphones to go around. We've got uh, Doyle with one, and my son Owen is helping the other. So, let's get into this. This is the uh, part two of the Ephesians Bible study. Um, and just a, a brief recap on what we talked about last week. Um, in the first lesson, we learned about the blessings from God. Okay, sorry. You got two books? Okay, I need it though. Okay, sorry. Um, so, in the first lesson, we learned about the blessings from God, uh, part of God's big plan, and our promised inheritance, and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, our down payment, as it were, on what lies ahead in the kingdom of God. So, we're going to get stuck right into the second one, part two, the power of the kings. Can I have somebody um, volunteer to read the... Uh, the opening part here, the, um, yo, and also, before we start, also, does everyone have a guide? Does somebody need a Bible study guide to, to follow today? Okay. All right. We're good. All right. Um, yeah, if somebody could volunteer to read the first part here, the first page, the power of the king, that first paragraph or two and first few lines, if somebody can volunteer to do that, we'll get the, uh, Okay, Steve. There it is. So how strong is it? My friend was showing me his new telescope. It was set up on an upstairs room looking out toward the sea. Well, take a look. I have been scanning the horizon with my own small binoculars. These were a couple of, there was a couple of ships going by. A few small fishing boats closer in. Nothing much else. I put my eye to his telescope and couldn't believe what I saw. The two ships I had seen, suddenly they were so close that I, I could see their names on the side and people walking to and fro on the deck. But that was only the beginning. Out beyond them, where my binoculars had registered nothing at all, were several other ships, large and small, military and commercial, including a cruise liner. The telescope seemed to have the uncanny power of making things appear out of nowhere. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, that's a really powerful opening there in the sense of showing just how much we do not see, whether it be looking into the stars and the sky or whether it's in our own lives and lives of our friends and family. The power of God is at work all the time. Um, and so here, let's go to the opening kind of question here. Um, open. When have you experienced something unexpectedly powerful? I encourage everyone to participate. Don't feel shy. We're all here together. Okay, Ken? The power of a fire hose first time when I was in training and you pull back on that it will set you back and you don't realize how how powerful yeah I bet I bet absolutely I've seen that on TV yeah I'll, I'll, I'll give you my my answer here just to briefly um, I find answered prayer no matter how big or small is, is a powerful reminder of God's presence in our life. And I've had some big prayers in my life, some small ones too. And uh, you really do feel insignificant when God does answer those prayers. Anybody else? Anybody else like to share their thoughts? Okay, Matt? You kind of touched on it about the stars. Um, it reminded me of the, uh, the Hubble Deep Field uh, imagery that they had decided to point the Hubble telescope at less than one degree of the sky and when they did you know the section that's just black there's nothing there 
And when they did that and they focused it, uh, it revealed all of these things, kind of like the ships on the horizon. It revealed numerous galaxies that were not even, you know, visible um, to to the eye, but you know, focusing just in that one spot, and you start to see all of those amazing sights. Yeah, I've, I've, I remember reading about that a couple of years ago. Just how unbelievable, and how much we don't know about the universe that God created. That example stunning you know stuff that the light from that couldn't get through and in this black hole which you think is nothing there even to a telescope I, I, I believe they had to concentrate the Hubble telescope for a week or something on that one area to magnify it into focus and absolutely stunning there were, there were millions more galaxies beyond there just unbelievable Did, oh and you had something to say talking about uh, the sky and how vast it is and how much God's created but if you want to talk about actual life, the small molecules and atoms, how diverse it is. If you talk about small atoms and molecules, the huge animals like elephants and walleye mammoths and all these other huge animals. It's just it's so amazing that a, someone who cares about you wants you to be able to see all these things and wants you to be able to know all these things. It's just, it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it is. Well said, Owen. Yeah, it, it is. Like I said, sometimes we feel insignificant, but the great God who did create everything created us, and he wants us to be part of his glorious family, which we will one day when after Christ returns and that kingdom becomes, gets here and everything kind of comes into place. Okay, let's, um, so let's move on to the study here and actually read the, the scriptures here. Um, this part is kind of like part two of the first chapter, and... Uh, this one, we're going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And again, if I could have somebody read those uh, eight or nine verses to get the, uh, the ball rolling on the scripture reading, I would appreciate it. Someone could read those few verses from Ephesians chapter 1. Will I have to pick on someone? Okay, here's the Bible. Okay, Barnabas. Yeah, it helps you if you have a Bible, I guess. Okay. Starting verse 17, is that uh, where we're starting? Verse 15. Verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints... Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that fills all in all thank you Barnabas so let's look at the first question here the first question proper I guess um so, power is one of the great themes of Ephesians. Perhaps this is because Ephesus itself and the surrounding area was seen as a place of power. Certainly in social and civic terms, the city was powerful and was set to become more so. It was a major center of imperial influence in Paul's day. It was also a center of religious power. Before Paul writes about power, though, 
he tells his readers how thankful he is for them. So the question is, the first question is, why is he grateful for his readers? And it's referencing verses 15 and 16 initially here. So why is Paul grateful for his readers? Okay, Ken? I have, uh, Paul's grateful because the Ephesians have strong faith in Jesus and they love God's people everywhere. They had a strong love both for Christ and for his people. Yes. Yeah, I, I think as, he, as Paul prays for them, um, they have prayed for him too and, he, and he's, he appreciates that reciprocal relationship they have and they are a faithful group by all accounts anybody else want to share anything you'd also say they also have a faith and a love for all the saints in other words all those Involved in the work of God. Okay, Matt? I don't know if Ken mentioned this part, but what I have in here is also that they had this tremendous faith in spite of the really strong pagan faiths that were around them, you know, in, in Ephesians, because it was, a, it was very much a center of, of Greek Roman worship um, at, that, at that time. And so. It's, it's all the more encouraging, I think, to Paul as well, that they are able to, to hold fast. Um, and so encouraging him to hold fast in, in his faith. And we, you know, we don't experience that to that degree. Um, I think we're starting to experience it more in, in, in the world we live in now, but uh, not to that level that Paul had. And so it's, it is encouraging to one another to see the faith of others being maintained and, and strengthening our faith in the, in the process. Absolutely, yeah, and I know that um, I've been over there when me and my wife went to Greece for our honeymoon. Um, we went to Corinth, and I, I guess it's probably a similar. It may have been slightly smaller than than Ephesus, um, but the, the biggest attraction, the main thing in Corinth, is that that pagan uh, temple, which is mostly in ruins now. But it it was a metropolis back in the day by terms of. Uh, the amount of people that lived there, you know, a few thousand. Uh, and, and by today's standards, also not very big, like maybe half a mile across either way. But the, as, you, as you said, Matt, that the paganism was so strong in all these other cities in the, the Roman Empire that for a small group here, and, and, and this, this could be also seen as a circular letter, for, or not just for those in the actual city of Ephesus, but those in that surrounding area, that for them to hold fast to this new faith um, and talk about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, must have been tough in the face of all the paganism and the idol worship and the idols going on around them and the, the temples that were there in, in all these cities. So they really must have had some incredible faith by, uh, you know, compared to what we know and understand uh, right now. Okay, let's move on to the, uh, the second question here. How does Paul mix praise with petition when he prays? Okay. Renee? I just think that there's a really interesting juxtaposition between verse 15 and verse 17 because in verse 15, Paul is praising them for their faith and their love, which was obviously very strong, but then yet in 17, he points out that there's still room for spiritual growth in wisdom and knowledge. And so he's not being condemning of them for not having enough spiritual wisdom or knowledge and yet no matter how strong we are in our faith or how good we are in our love there's always room for that growth in the wisdom and in the knowledge because and Paul says in other places I, I pray that you would continue to grow in strength and wisdom and knowledge there's always room for growth absolutely isn't it I mean it's, a, it's an ongoing it's a daily growth a daily a daily thing we have in our Christian life we're always growing always understanding. I mean, there's so much more in the Bible that we maybe don't yet fully understand. Um, and you look back in the Old Testament at some of the, and I was thinking about this today actually, in the shower. Um, 
You look at people like Noah, Adam, and Methuselah, people that lived to be over 900 years old. And them talking about, well, when I was 385, you know, there's a funny thing that happened. When I was 720, you know, there's this uh, beautiful day. And it's an ongoing story. It's an ongoing knowledge that God gives to us. Something, like, like it says, the power of God is so unknown to all of us. And it's a, it's a, grow, it's a, a growth, a continuous growth. And this young church in Ephesus were in those stages, growing. But Paul was encouraged by it. Gives, God gives, as Paul says here, God gives you wisdom and revelation and uh, the knowledge of, of knowing about him. Anybody else? Specifically on what it says here in verse 17? Any other thoughts? Well, okay, we'll move on then. We'll move on to the next question. Okay. Question number three. What are his specific prayer requests for his readers? And this, this references verses 17 through 19. Again, for Paul, what are his specific prayer requests for his readers? Sean? What I've got written in here in my Bible is to have hope. Basically, just in a nutshell, do we have hope in him, that we have everlasting life through him, um, that if we just believe and have an understanding, just know there's such great riches in um, our inheritance, that we have a hope. Absolutely, yeah. Somebody else? Doyle? Uh, Sean, yeah. The other Sean. The other Sean, yeah. Go ahead. I basically had the same thing. Um, the spirit of his wisdom, the revelation and the knowledge of him, which is powerful. The knowing. Their understanding, be enlightened, the, the hope of his calling, and the glory of his inheritance. Yeah, that, that they will be blessed through the Holy Spirit and... and uh, and they'll be blessed just for believing. It's another, it's another thought that I, I thought of in these verses. Yeah, Keith, yes. When I seen the word, uh, you said the enlightenment, I thought of that transformation from darkness to light that Paul's wanting them to get hold of, that they're walking out of this darkness, and he's wanting them to see that this light, once it comes inside you, it actually illuminates so much kind of like the we're talking about the Hubble telescope and being able to see things that weren't there before if you can let his light which is his word actually get inside you then you can begin to see and understand the wisdom and this knowledge that's there for anyone to have but you got to let his light in and so I think he's trying to say let's let the light in and let's start walking in that light so. absolutely yeah when you when you have when God blesses you with opening your eyes to the truth when you see it, um, it's so much more wonderful, and, and it gives you—he just—he gives you that understanding of, of the word and, and everything else. Yeah, Sean again. Um, just echoing what Keith said, and I think about it when Paul was struck with blindness. You know, the, the opposite of it, and then he was enlightened to, to be able to see and have his mind opened up to it. I think it's interesting that he had him blinded first before yeah. he revealed everything to him. Yeah, good point. Yeah, he was blinded for three days and went up to Damascus and Ananias was the one who uh, let his eyes open again after God blessed him to do so. Really, yeah, a dramatic calling for Paul. Yeah. Anybody else have any thoughts on this question? Any his specific prayer requests for his readers? Okay, we'll move on to the next question then. Question four. According to Paul's prayer, we acquire a wisdom as we get to know God. How does knowing Jesus more help us see things differently? Let me repeat that. How does knowing Jesus more 
Help us see things differently. Okay, Elisa. The more we develop the mind of Christ through our various methods, study, prayer, meditation, uh, praise and worship, whatever, we begin to understand how he thinks and how he views situations, and it gets our mental, uh, physical perspective out of the way. Uh, I was talking to Art on the way in, and it kind of reminds me, if you've watched football, how you have the quarterbacks and you have their favorite receivers. And there was a game on here not too long ago where the quarterback couldn't even see the receiver. And it, it was the last few seconds of the game, and he just up and threw it, and it was a touchdown, and they won the game in just a few seconds. And they asked him, how in the world could you throw a Hail Mary pass like that? He said, because I knew he would be where he was supposed to be. You know someone that well, you get to know Christ, you know where he's going to be, you, you know what direction he's going to want you to take in a situation. So the closer you can be to him by analyzing yourself, having him show you uh, and I think that goes back up to where it says the knowledge and the understanding, and then you, as you progress, you get wisdom. And so as you develop that knowledge and have him give you that knowledge of what your weaknesses, your failings, your sins are, and what you need to work on, and have that understanding, then as we were talking about last week, he can help you overcome those situations, and, and you'll begin to understand more what he wants from you, where he wants you to go, and how big his plan is for the future. Yeah, what a wonderful plan it is, too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great little story about the receiver and the, and the quarterback, though. I understand that. Having that, almost having a blind faith that, uh, that God's going to be there. We know he hears us, and he sees us. He has a plan for all of us. Yeah. You have to see things with a Christian perspective to have a godly understanding of the world. Uh, anybody else? Steve? Okay. Oh, I was just going to uh, comment on that um, number four there. <clears throat> it's interesting that when Jesus walked on the earth, he, <clears throat> he gave the masses in parables, and then he explained it to his disciples. He gives us the spirit, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter there, so that we can understand the deep things of God. And I think that's the, the important thing, that as we read, we pray, we ask God to open our minds to see what um, he would have us to, to deeply understand about Jesus' life, um, his commission, and what he is doing right now at the, the right hand of the Father. So I think all these things here... Uh, being taught by, uh, by God and by Jesus right now out of the, his word is very important for, for each and every one of us um, in this life. Yeah. Yeah, Keith again? Yep. Getting to know someone, like it says, how does getting to know him change you? And, and I think about as a kid, talking about football, that we idolize as kids different athletes, at least I did. And I didn't do it to the extent of some of the kids that I knew or know today, but they idolize and want to get to know their particular athlete so well that they'll watch every game they play, watch every highlight, because there's highlights galore if you have the right channels now. They go out and buy their shoes, their jerseys. They begin to act like them. If you watch them in the gymnasium, if it's basketball, they're taking the same shots that they take. They're, they're doing the same reactions after a shot. After a while, they're acting just like the person they're idolizing. And we know no human is to be idolized like that. But when you talk about our Lord, that's exactly what we're to do. Idolize everything he did, said in his word. So, you know, getting to know him to that point, like um, she was talking about earlier about where you know exactly what he expects of you and you know exactly where he's going to be and you have that knowledge which is what Paul's wanting us to get to where you are acting and thinking and you're thinking about eternity like he wants us to I mean just it goes on and on to like I said you can never get to the end of that until the day we're finally with him so yeah I think it's an ongoing uh, 
like I said earlier, about an ongoing growth of trying to attain the character of Christ, which is an ongoing thing for all of us. And it's almost a strive for perfection, but Jesus was the only perfect human being that ever lived. Okay, let's move on to the fifth question here. What are some practical ways we can do that? We can do that. Sorry. What are some practical ways we can do that? So, according to Paul's prayer, we acquire wisdom as we get to know God. How does knowing Jesus more help us see things differently? And then it's kind of an add-on to that. Question five, what are some practical ways we can do that? And for me, I put down, you know, we have a church, we go to church, you can get involved in charity work um, and being a good example to others. As you said earlier, Keith, letting your light shine. What are some practical ways we can do that? Yes, Matt? Um, I think it kind of goes a little bit back to the beginning of the passage that we read where Paul's talking about the love that the Ephesians have or that the church in the area has um, for one another. Uh, the love for all the saints. And, you know, you'd, you'd think that that's probably easier than loving the world, but that's not always the case, right? Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in many ways we, we get to know one another um, and see one another's faults, but being more gracious to one another as saints. Um, and that's also a recognition that uh, we're going to be a, together for a very long time. And, and so the idea of being gracious, loving, supportive, looking for, for ways in which to edify one another and, and not maybe the human nature, which is criticized or undermined or, or you know, uh, point to as a negative um, for, for whatever reason. So being gracious to others. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, Owen, yeah. I, I said it last week about another question, but I think it falls good with this question, too. I think baptism would go well with this because you could draw in closer to God through baptism. So, I mean, because you're... I, I haven't been baptized yet, so I don't know really know much about it, but you're innate, you're in God's kingdom and everything. And it makes... It just heard that it makes you feel happier inside and everything. So yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's a great part of the power of God when He blesses you with the with the uh, His great Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Yes, Renee. Just to piggyback on what um, Owen just said, if you go back to chapter one, and it's I think it's verse ten. Let me see back here. Um, well, verse nine and ten, where he says. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. Um, At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Oh, I missed. I'm sorry. I think I'm reading the wrong verse. One of these verses in chapter 1 I was just looking at, and it was talking about the Holy Spirit being that promise. Uh, Oh, down in 13 or 14 or 13, is it? Yeah, yeah, there, there it is in 13. I'm sorry, I, I skipped back too far. It's what happens when you use the digital Bible. <laughs> uh-huh. um, it was verse 13. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, which he promised long ago. So that Holy Spirit is an identifying marker. And we have that, and we can see that in each other. And the more we use it, the more we rely upon that power in us that is the down payment, which he says in the next verse, which is the, it's, it's like the proof that he promised that he is, he has purchased us and that he is going to continue to work with us. That, um, I think that that just reiterates what, what Owen was just saying. It sort of puts it in the context of, of what this passage is meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Ken, you want to add something else? I had written down, you know, it's, it's, it's basically through the basic works of learning about him, reading his word and meditating on it and, and praying that his spirit will guide us and then look for it 
look for where and how God's working. Look for where and how Jesus is is there making the difference. You know, if it, it came to my mind, there's a, a video out a while back that that uh, these two teams, one was the shirts and one was the skins, and you were supposed to keep track of how many baskets the skins made. And at the end of the deal, it asked you uh, about the gorilla. And everybody that had done this, people that were there, said, what gorilla? And so you go back and watch, and while these guys are playing basketball, there's a guy in a gorilla suit that walks through them across the court. And nobody saw it. They were focused on how many baskets the skins made. If we go out there and look for where Jesus is working and how we can serve him, we'll see it, and a lot of the other stuff will go by, and that's good. Yeah, in these times, absolutely. The evidence of, of Jesus' work is, is, is there. Yeah, absolutely. So this, this next question here, I think, is, is an interesting one. Question number six. What was the greatest display of power the world has ever seen? What was the greatest display of power the world has ever seen? And it's referenced in verse 20, but I think we know what this is, what this means. Yes, Sean. Death was just um, defeated yeah. because Christ was risen and he's going to come back and return and basically death was just defeated. Yeah. yeah. That age old thing which has been around for since human beings have been around since the, the first sin of Adam and Eve. We're all going to die but uh, we also have a great promise and Jesus made that happen. Yes, Steve. And of course, uh, these things were um, prophesied. Uh, Psalm 110, of course, uh, looking uh, into that, he was um, to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so the resurrection, he believed, he knew that he was going to be there. Uh, he kept his life pure throughout. And, and God uh, blessed him with that. Also, in, he was to receive a priesthood. Uh, the priesthood is Melchizedek. And, of course, in Romans, uh, Paul is very consistent throughout all of his epistles. And, he, and in uh, Romans, the first chapter, um, concerning his son, verse 3, uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared, the son of, to, be the, uh, declared to be the Son of God, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So all of those things, uh, Paul is very consistent in what he was um, bringing both to, um, throughout really all of his epistles are um, very consistent in what, what they brought about Christ. I think Christ being raised from the dead was an absolute working of God's power, an absolute proof of his uh, power, his uh, power over death. And his, um, before he died, of course, he raised Lazarus from the dead after four days. But his own death and resurrection was the ultimate. And I like the way that I've mentioned this in one of my messages before about how it says, let's go over verse 20 here, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and raised him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And basically what that means is, what Paul's saying in a sense is, 
the work of Jesus is so complete and done by his death and resurrection and his, uh, his sacrifice that he is able to sit down at the right hand of God. His work is done. He can now sit down next to God. It's complete. It's done. Now, it's an ongoing process, as we know, of those being called and the Holy Spirit being poured out on the world. But as far as his, his physical mission and his sacrifice, it was done. And the power of God was shown to the world, and he was able to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, let's move on to long question here, question seven. So, at the center of Paul, and you'll have to forgive some of N.T. Wright's uh, deviations here, but at the center of Paul's prayer for the church in the area, which he now reports, is his longing that they will come to realize that this same power, the power seen at Easter, oh, what's that word put in there? Easter? Ishtar? I mean, come on now, N.T. Wright. He, he knows better than that, huh? Or he should do. And now vested in Jesus is available to them for their daily use. Far too many Christians today, and one suspects in Paul's day, are quite unaware that this power is there and is available. They are like I was with my friend. Until I looked through his powerful telescope, I simply didn't know what was out there. Paul doesn't imagine that all Christians will automatically be able to recognize the power of God. It will take, as he says in verse 17, a fresh gift of wisdom of coming to see things people don't normally see, and this in turn will come about through knowing Jesus and having what Paul calls the eyes of your innermost self opened to God's light. So the question, what should and shouldn't using this power look like in our daily lives? What should and should not using this power look like in our daily lives? Okay, um, we're going to first, Owen. Aletha? Okay. Well, I had a little bit of an example this week. Uh, we've got a situation with Jane, and I needed some guidance on it. And it turned out I made one phone call, and that phone call led to another contact, which led to another contact, which got me on the right path. And so now I have other people other beyond myself and my limited knowledge and the subject I'm having to deal with for her that can get back to me and give me the information I need. And this has happened before with her doctors and things. So I think part of it is using your power to help others in the church. Use what knowledge you have been given. If you're an older person, as, as it says, let the older women guide the younger women. And it's same thing for the older man. And I, I think it's uh, helping to develop others, the babes in Christ, as they come along. and. I had an experience in the bathroom uh, this past week. A lady came in and she came up to me and she said, well, my man lost, did yours? And I said, no, I didn't vote. And, and she said, oh, you didn't? I said, no, I said, my kingdom is of heaven. And she said, oh, you're a Christian. She said, I am so happy to hear that other people believe like that. And she said, I, I was getting so depressed. She says, you've just made my day letting me know that you believe Jesus is coming back and going to have his kingdom for us. And that's an encouragement. So. That, those are just a couple of simple ways that I've experienced. Yeah, yeah, great. David, were you going to add something? Yes, I'm just going to contact, or comment on the one word where he mentions Easter here. Uh, the word Easter is only mentioned one time in the Bible, and uh, that's not the verse. But anyway, it, it's the same word as Passover in all the new places. I mean, all the places in the New Testament. It's the same word, Pascha. I didn't write any of that down, but it's just an afterthought. So uh, right. uh, his understanding of, of the same time period, they call it Easter, but it's not really Easter. So if anybody has a problem with it, uh, you know, the translator just, for some reason, just chose to put Easter in there instead, right. of, instead yep. of the word Passover. And it's, it's everywhere in the New Testament, it's the same word. Right, I've read that too, that it's misinterpretation or something, or the, whoever put that in there. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, like Aletha said, being a, being a 
a good example, example to others, shining a light is, is, is a big part of this. And uh, God shows up everywhere, doesn't he? Like you said in the bathroom there, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Keith? Yeah, when I think about the resurrection and then how it's supposed to affect me personally, um, anything we face from that point on, he's pretty much settled it that there's no circumstance, things that look dead, you can't go by the outer circumstance because everybody, including the disciples, even though he had told them, thought it's over. And so, yeah, you can't look at circumstance, you can't look at things that are going on, relationships, whatever it is in your life that, you know, appears to be impossible or very difficult, become very possible, and you have that spirit of hope that Paul talked about earlier, that you live in hope, you live in expectation, which is what hope is, and you live in faith, so... Yeah, after the resurrection, there's uh, there's no reason now for us to have or have doubt about what he can or cannot do. So that's in the positive. I think in the negative, what you shouldn't do is you can't use that to put that influence on other people. We don't have a will over other people's will. And so I can't use that faith, that hope to make someone else come into this knowledge or change. Again, that goes back to where we have to put that trust and that hope in our Lord that he can do the work in them. And that, again, takes the relief really off of me that I have to change anyone. So it's still good. Yeah, I, I, can, I can speak personally for that. I have uh, was it two older sisters, an older brother, and a couple of younger brothers who, were all, who all grew up in the church and then left at some point or other or, or put out for wrong reasons, I think, back in the, back in the 80s. But... Um, but it's not as, as much as I, I want them to be, you know, attending a church service or, or you know, believe in the same way we do. They, they do in a sense. This is the funny thing. My older brother, um, although he left the church in like 1985 or 86, every Sunday when he, he goes to work on his car, he's a great mechanic as well as a carpenter, which is his profession. He tells me, even to this day, he still says a prayer every morning before he goes and works in that car. Because he knows if he doesn't, something's going to mess up. Or he won't be able to find that missing bolt or nut. Or the store will be sold out that part that he wants to buy. He, he, and he says every time, because he knows from experience, he's 55 now, that going out and saying that little prayer, that two-minute prayer, if it needs to be, will help him do the job. And as much as I want my brothers and sisters to, be, to come back and be going to church, I know it's not... I can only do so much. God is the one who's going to bring them back or call them. And I hope at Christ's return they'll, they'll still be there. So, yes. Dala, too? Okay. Is it on? Okay. Um, about the power and saying prayers. Um, I'm not a good driver. And I say a prayer every time I merge onto uh, like the major highways. And there's a parting of the ways, and <laughs> I get on, okay. Yeah, I've, I've come to realize that that grab bar is there for a reason when yeah. I'm riding my way. <laughs> huh? Hang on. <laughs> Here we go. Yes. Um, I just Enough. wanted to say, um, in answer to this question, I said uh, the way not to treat his power is not to treat him like a genie or a Santa Claus. I think someone mentioned that last week. Uh, but in our Bible study, the women's Bible study we had, uh, we, we learned that um, his power is there for us, for us when we are at our weakest, he will be our strength. Um, so in our weakness, he is our strength. He completes us. Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that a lot of people forget, too, is when you pray, don't forget to pray to be thankful. You know, that's the, that's the other half of the... Of the, of, the, of the job, isn't it? You, you pray for something to happen or for this to work out or for someone to get well again. Well, when that happens, don't forget to pray and thank God for that happening. A lot of us forget that sometimes. But the, the, the power of God is, as Paul explains here, and we go on to this in greater detail throughout the book of Ephesians, is just phenomenal and mind-boggling. Let's move on to the, uh, the next question here. Question 8. How have you experienced this power in your life? Yeah, uh, Sean. Yes. 
this story before, but um, one of the greatest examples of power of prayer and just experiencing God's love for us and just answer of prayer, uh, we were traveling home from the feast with my parents in their van, and we broke down several hundred miles out of Salt Lake City. We didn't have cell phone coverage or anything out there, and it was getting late in the night, and so we just decided to pray. Let's just, you know, pray to God about the situation going on. And I wasn't even finished with the prayer yet, and my dad's getting up, and what's going on? And he's, well, your prayer's been answered. There's a tow truck that had just pulled up. Wow. <laughs> so that's, that's immediate, isn't it? It was wow. the most immediate answer to prayer I've ever had. It was just we were praying and asking for help, and help was on the way before the prayer was even finished. So God... But you what was going to happen and had, had the situation rolling. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yes, uh, David, over here. Yeah, mine's not quite as dramatic as uh, Sean's is, but uh, when Fran and I began to decide we were going to start keeping the Sabbath, and, and I was working the night shift, which meant Friday night from 4.30 until 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, we had come to the conclusion that this really is what we need to do, and uh, very likely I was going to lose my job because of it, even though it's discrimination. But uh, 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 this was on a Friday evening, and my lead man, foreman, said, well, the superintendent wants to talk to you Monday, so come in a little bit early. And uh, uh, I told Fran, I said, well, we know I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, look for a job and still work here five days. I'm going to work Friday night for two more weeks. And then the next week, I'm still going to look if I don't have a job yet. And I'll come in and, and at sundown, I'm leaving. Well, when I went in on Monday, the superintendent negotiated with me the very same thing that I was willing to do. He said, and I hope, <laughs> he said, would you do us a favor? Would you come in and would you work for two more weeks on Friday night and give us a chance to train this other guy on days so he could take your job at night because it was a very skilled job and not just anybody could do it. So he made me the same offer that I did. He said, I don't think God's going to send you to hell for <laughs> working right. two more weeks on Friday. So it wasn't, but to me, it being a young, trying to be Christian at the time, was a very powerful miracle to me. Absolutely, I, I had a not as not even as good as that. But after I got my CDL <clears throat> back in 2006, I had of course had a big transfer of career from being a carpenter to becoming a truck driver. But um, one of the first um, job offers I got from uh, uh, Benny, um, I can't remember the, the name of the company, the food company, but I had an interview with the guy there, the recruiter, and I told him about how I couldn't work Friday nights and Saturdays, and he tried to almost stare me down. Then, yeah, but if I offer you to do this, that, and the other, and it's, no, I wasn't budging. He thought I would. I think he tried to say, he tried to sweet talk it and everything. Nope. And I had to walk away from that one, and a better job came along. Now, it didn't pay as, as good, Yaffe medals, but it was a great job, and I worked for a great boss for the next five years until I found another, you know, another better job. So the power of, yeah, God's always working, isn't he? Here's Ken. When I was about five years old, I had a severe head injury. I was hit by a hardball thrown by an adult. I had grand mal epilepsy. <coughs> and they tried all the different meds, and they tried, I don't know what all. At five years old, you don't know what's going on. I was anointed prayed over, never had it again. There you go. Power of God. Power of prayer. Yeah. Yes, uh, my wife, Dala. The power of God can also be really gentle. Um, as Along the lines of what Ken was saying, when I was in college, I was hit by a car. And I was thrown, the witness said, three feet up and five feet out. But I never hit my head. It's the most time, the biggest time in my life where I actually, you know, the hand of God, like saved my saved me from a huge injury like that. So. Yeah, and isn't isn't it wonderful how the, all these these examples, these instances, that the great God of the universe, He still looks out for us. These little 
instances in our lives, he's still watching there. Like, uh, like I, I may have told you a lot, you guys, I cut my, my leg down to the bone uh, with a circular saw 22 years ago. But God, although he scarred me for life and taught me a lesson, because um, I missed my kneecap by millimeters, I mean, eighth of an inch. I missed uh, an artery by a sixteenth of an inch. Would have bled to death. They're up in that roof in, on Kensington High Street, working with my dad on a roof. But I, I learned the hard way, but he taught me a lesson there, and he guided me in the sense of, be careful, son. You knew the guard was jamming. Think. And after that, every time I held a circular saw, I made sure that guard was working. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Sean. I deal with a lot at work every day where I'm dealing with very hard to deal with people. And the girls I work with, they believe in God. None of them go to church or anything like that. And a fear of mine is that they won't see Jesus in me. The light won't shine in me the way it needs to shine. And God lets us know that sometimes he's really letting his light shine in you when you don't think he is. Because they come up to you and they ask for prayer. Or they ask for prayer for other people. And they're holding your hand. And please, just take these names to your church and pray. So that's a blessing for me that the light is in me even when I don't think it is. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, because, oh, uh, Fran? Yes. Our daughters, um, when there's a need, they always call and ask for prayer. And several years ago, a friend of theirs, their son was skateboarding down a hill on his stomach, and he ran into a car at the bottom of the hill and did brain damage. And she had called us and asked us, to ask for prayer. She needed prayer. He did. Well, a year later, we went to a graduate, one of our granddaughter's graduation. He was there. He was fine. It wasn't any kind of damage at all. And they were thinking he wouldn't live. So it just shows that even when they call and ask for prayer and we pray, that points them to God when he answers that prayer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to move on to the next question here. Uh, question nine. What authority does Jesus have now? And this is referenced in verses 21 and 22. And just I'll, I'll quickly read those. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things to the church. What authority does Jesus have now? Yes, Ken. Jesus now has all authority over everything, everywhere, in existence. Correct. That's, that was my, my wife's quick, sweet answer. All. A-L-L. -L. He does. Yes, Steve. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, on, on a personal level, he's our advocate. Uh, first uh, John uh, two one, I, I, when we go before the Father, He becomes the um, the attorney that goes before Father and says, you know, forgive him. He's he's only human. He's just the grass of the the earth, you know. And he, and the other thing is is um, uh, he's the high priest, yeah, which means he's um, he goes before the Father with the shed blood and the vestures of the, um, and, and all that means. And I think for us personally, it's very important that we understand uh, what he's doing on a, a 
24 7 365 days of the year we can go to him at any time ask for, for forgiveness and he is he is willing because he he loves us and he, get, he shed his blood for us and he died for us and he sits at the right hand of the father now um, for for us for each and every one that has been called and so um, on a personal basis that's it and yet also you know he has all authority and the, the angels bow before him today so that's an amazing wonderful thing that he has done yeah absolutely amen okay let's move on to the last question here and, and try and wrap this up because of the, the time situation uh, question 10 so uh, let's see here yeah okay so King Jesus as the head of the body of believers has the church as his hands and feet it is his body the fullness of the one who fills all in all how can we his church act as, as his agents within the present world how can we his, his church act as, act as his agents within the present world if I could read it it would help wouldn't it okay Matt uh, just kind of um, touching upon, I think, what I <clears throat> mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're ambassadors for Christ, right? And uh, when Renee and I were studying this question uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, we realized that, you know, we're seeing uh, in our state, I don't know if you've noticed it, and, and other surrounding states, we're seeing like a reverse rapes of gra uh, grapes of wrath. Um, we're, we're seeing all these California license plates in Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. And there's actually a phenomenon going on right now where people are moving out of, you know, the People's Republic of California and, and coming into Oklahoma and Texas and so on. Right. Um, and, and so it just made me think about being these ambassadors where we're trying to give out visas and passports to the kingdom, uh, to encouraging people to leave this world and, and to, to join with Christ Jesus receive the deposit, that down payment of the Holy Spirit, and secure their visa for the new world to come. Um, and, and that should just be, first and foremost, I think, in our minds and in, in how we engage in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't have uh, faith in this, this present world because it's not going anywhere anytime fast. Anybody else want to add any last thoughts here? By doing good works, preaching the gospel, trying to bring others to the truth is another part of uh, what we do. David, do you want to say something? One other quick thing. Uh, even though uh, most of us in here aren't ministers, but uh, when Jesus was ascended uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of his last words was, Go you into all the world, preach the gospel of all creatures, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and, and observe all the things I've taught you. So... Uh, individually, uh, as Matthew said, we are ambassadors. We are uh, representatives of the kingdom of God. And, and uh, even though we may not have a lot of power and ability, but uh, some way, somehow, and some people, it will get through to some of the people that God intends for his message. So uh, I, I think we all need to, in some ways, like some of them said, to be an example to the world. And, and like Julian Cruz said one time in a message, uh, uh, preach a sermon and sometimes use words yeah All right. yeah sometimes just get the message out there and God does the rest well if there's any last thoughts we're going to wrap it up here okay so let's close this uh, second session with a prayer by your heads thank you God for bringing us together to study this second part of our Bible study this week thank you for blessing us for all those who could be here and we pray that those that were online were able to receive it too we just want to thank you for the great power you have shown us Lord that you give to us each and every day provide that power to us in our daily lives bless us through the death and the resurrection of your son Jesus Christ, all things have been accomplished. He now sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us 
continue to preach the gospel, get that message out, to shine our lights as best we can, help us to do good works, and to really show that the great power of God continues to go on each and every day in our lives, and try and project that out to the world, and help us to attain that character of Christ. So we thank you for all this, and just pray that we can have another Bible study next week, and that the series will go on, that you'll bless us, and help us to gain some understanding too. We ask all these things in and through the name of our Lord, our Savior, and soon coming King, Jesus Christ.